strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. I want to remind you that you can download the podcast very easily. It's simple to do on any device you had. Never miss a minute of the show. And listen at your convenience. And I want to thank my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley for sponsoring the podcast this week. You can get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. Speaking of higher prices, um, Arizona is paying a little bit more for gas. We've seen an uptick as the nation sees a fall in prices. And that has to do with the blend of gasoline that's used this time of year. It's because of air quality in Arizona. Um, I've talked about this issue quite a bit. The people of Arizona are, are great people. We... It just – the conditions we live in because we live in the Dust Bowl is part of the reason the air quality is poor. So um, uh, this is to me um, one of the most uh, difficult times for people, and the bright spot has been gas prices dropping. So if gas prices have fallen – and uh, it's been saving people. Jobs are out there. Are The jobs are another thing. But food and everything else is getting more expensive. Um, th- there's a, a couple of stories that were written from people that were giving examples of how this has affected them. And uh, the effect I, I think this has on me, and here's what's coming or may be coming. Uh, China issues its highest typhoon warning as a storm approaches. They're saying that they have closed the world's largest container ports again. For how long, we don't know. What will that do to supply chain issues? I think we're going to learn a lot of lessons with all of what's happened. And what I mean by that is we realize now as a nation that some of the key things that we buy, whether it's antibiotics or other things, we have put largely into the hands of other countries. Even if we wouldn't call them enemies, they're certainly rivals in some cases, but we are putting key elements of our success as a country and health as a country into the hands of other nations. When supply chain issues happen and things outside of our control, like we saw with COVID-19, you've got companies that can't do the work. Now, I'm not complaining here. I want to be very clear. I'm certainly not enough of a devoid of real problems um, because this wasn't a real problem. It's just a fact of what happened. During the pandemic, I bought a jacuzzi for my back patio. I bought it in October and it didn't get delivered until March. And the reason why, the components to make the jacuzzi. Um, so, and that, again, was an example of a supply chain issue. I'm not complaining. I mean, if, if that's the worst thing, and it is the worst thing that happened to me during the pandemic, I was blessed beyond measure. Um, but there were people, the uh, automobile industry took a large hit. Um, there are still builders out there. I've talked about this recently. There are still builders out there that are building big commercial properties. They're getting temporary CFO or certificate of occupancy for the owners or for the renters because they're not complete. And they're not complete because they can't get some of the light fixtures. Or they can't get some of the plumbing fixtures. There are some things that just aren't available yet. So you are seeing jobs that are 95% done where they're having to backtrack once people have moved in to get them in those buildings because the supply chain issues continue to happen. So we have got to be very diligent and I think I say intentional on the way we do things when it comes to prices and everything else. The water, what they're fighting about for water here in Arizona in January with the restrictions that are coming because of the Central Arizona Project, there are large places in Pinal County in agriculture that will not be able to have full crops or crops at all. And the reason why is because uh, they won't have the water to grow the crops. What's that going to do to the food industry? 
Um, you know, we, we averted this whole thing. Uh, I don't know if anybody realizes if you've been watching anything on the news, because everything on the news is always breaking news, big explosive thing. But the idea that we almost had a railroad strike would have been disastrous to the American economy across every sector. And so that being averted was a big help. Um, and so we are going to be able to continue to move goods and services across the country via rail. We've got a wheat shortage because of what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. We know all of these things exist. And they're saying that these high food prices are going to stay for a long time. So now my concern, and I think the concern of many people, is you watch what's down. The Dow is down another like almost 60 points today so far, uh, just above 31,000. So it's had pretty big losses recently. Year over year, it's been losing. Um, and not disastrous. Again, I'm not jumping out a window. But as the industry gets nervous, as we start moving closer and closer to the holidays and the retail world looks at the American bank book, and there are so many statistics that they read to try to get a feel for what the holidays are going to be like. When you see a dramatic drop in bank deposits, you know, savings accounts, when you see a dramatic increase in credit card usage and not for big ticket items, but for necessities, when you see this happening, there's not going to be much room for the holidays. Not going to be much room at all. And when you start seeing a pullback, if you see if you see companies say, we're not laying off, but we're freezing our hiring. A lot of people that are taking that second job, that side hustle in order to make ends meet, when those dry up, what do they do then? Are you going to start seeing um, another glut of evictions because people can't pay their rent? Uh, are we going to see foreclosures because people can't make their mortgage payments? The, all of these things are not happening, but when they're predicting a recession, because if the Fed spikes rates again, they're talking about possibly the biggest rate increase in 40 years coming. If that happens and then you see the slowdown that they need to decrease inflation, what is going to happen to the job market? And that is where the, you know, the nightmare scenario that it didn't look possible. Everybody talked recession before and it's, it may happen. It could happen. And then they said it's not happening and we redefine recession. That's a technical term. But if you start seeing the side hustles dry up, if you stop, if you start seeing people reduce the amount of money they spend, discretionary spending goes down. If we start getting closer and closer to the holidays and you start seeing deals coming out first, if you see the Walmarts and the Targets and the Amazons and the others start giving you deals in October instead of November because they want to get your dollars now for for the holidays that means they don't have any confidence that January is going to be kicking the year off in a good way and i think all of us have to be concerned about that as we look forward this is why decisions have to be made so the other side of this coin is when you win what i mean by that is wall street why does wall street continue to get rich whether it's a good stock market or a bad stock market how do they continue to make money well, the answer is they see it coming before you and I do. You know, there's an old adage in radio, the music radio, that um, right about the time a listener is learning the words to a song, the DJ is tired of hearing it or the other way around. Just about the time a DJ is sick of a song, the average listener is just learning the words. 
that you know you're way ahead of the game. You hear it and you see it so much, you know what's coming. And in the financial world, that's how those finance people make money. They see it coming. They are prepared for it, and they start doing something six months before you do. By the time you hear about it and you call your financial planner and say, I think we should pull out of all of this, the money makers have already made money off of it because they saw it coming. Watch what they do. Watch what these major investment companies do. Watch what Wall Street does. Wall Street wants to grow. Wall Street wants to make money, and they're going to continue to do that. But they're going to respond, and they don't respond to party politics. They respond to situations. They don't care if it's Democrats or Republicans. They are there to make money. And what they do shows you the confidence that people have in our economy. And uh, I don't know how good it is. Coming up in a minute, we uh, do something every day at 1120 called Did You Hear This? We'll get to it in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's get you caught up on all the big news of the day. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. A railroad strike was averted last night as a deal came to fruition. The president says that the deal reached is a win for thousands of workers, saying they will get better pay, improved working conditions, and peace of mind around their health care costs, describing that as all hard-earned. Will this deal help to prevent possible strikes in the future? Yeah, I think it will. And, you know, the issue here, again, is essential workers and what they can and can't do. Cops can't strike. Firefighters can't strike. um, So they have to negotiate in a different way. So this could have been, in my opinion, just as detrimental because how much of what America eats and drinks and drives and uses is sent on the rail systems across this country. This could have been devastating for our economy. So I'm glad the deal was uh, was made because if we didn't avert this strike, all of the supply chain issue we've seen for two years wouldn't have been very a very big deal in comparison to what this would have done in the country. So I'm glad it was averted. <laughs> NBA Commissioner Adam Silver hosted a press conference yesterday about Suns and Mercury owner Robert Sarver and said removing team owners is complicated. I have certain authority by virtue of this organization, and that's what I exercised. I don't have the right to take away his team. I don't want to rest on that neat legal point because, of course, there could be a process to take away someone's team in this league. It's very involved. Do you believe the bylaws could get changed because of the situation? No, I don't think they're going to change the bylaws, and I'll tell you why, unfortunately, because I guarantee you that there are more owners in the NBA that could find themselves in the exact same position, that what you said and what you did 15, 20 years ago could come back to haunt you. We live in a cancel culture. I don't want to downplay what Robert Sarver did or said. I, based on this report, I wouldn't want to work for that guy. I wouldn't want my sister or my girls or, or my sister-in-law, I should say, working for that guy. Anybody that I care about, I wouldn't want them treated that way. I wouldn't want to fe- them to feel in order to be employed, they have to be treated like second-class citizens. I certainly don't want to be somebody that's dropping the N-word and being told by people that it's inappropriate and continuing to do it. I wouldn't want to work for that person. But does it rise to the level you're going to take the guy's team? We live in a cancel culture. So that's what's going to have to be decided by the people that sponsor that team, by the other owners, and by the people that play in that uniform. They're the ones that will make this decision. The idea that it's going to be done from the high league level, it's going to happen from the interior, not from the exterior. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the headlines. 
While the national average for gas prices is at $3.70, down $0.06 cents from last week, Arizona gas pumps tell a different story. Here in Arizona, drivers are paying an average of $4.04 per gallon. That's an increase of $0.05 cents in just the last week. When will Arizonans see relief at gas stations? It's going to, you know, well, we're going to see some relief as gas prices continue to fall or if they continue to fall. There's two things we have to be concerned about. This, this time of year, the winter gas blend that we use drives gas prices up a little bit. And right now, there's a refinery problem in California. When that gets fixed, it will ease the that issue. But then we're talking about the first of the year because of sanctions being put on Russian oil by Europe that they may drive gas prices back up across the country. So Arizona may not see much relief, and uh, it may be completely out of their control. Yesterday, Mike, you spoke to interim Phoenix Police Chief Michael Sullivan, and you asked him about school system safety plans. Work with the schools to be able to determine what the best way to do that is, but absolutely, we need to be involved. What is the role of the police department in school safety? I am someone that's in favor of a police officer in every school. I think that school resource officers, and I had one when I was in high school, I still remember him. His name was Morgan. I still remember him like it was yesterday. He was good to everybody. It was a great relationship builder between students. You felt safe. When there were little things that happened, they could take care of it right away. It could be somebody that would be in charge of threats. We've heard about people bringing guns to school. We've heard about threats against schools. There's somebody on campus that is a, is a uh, I would say licensed, but is a police officer, a certified cop on campus is good for everyone. So I hope we move back in that direction. But remember, that was the decision of the Phoenix Union High School District to remove school resource officers. It wasn't the decision of the Phoenix Police Department. But having that close relationship is necessary. Look what happened at Central High School. That was handled very, very well by all parties. Let's hope it continues across the district. Good job, Julia. That is, uh, did you hear this for another day? A lot of big headlines. Um, and, and you can't really, I don't think that you can understate or overstate, I should say. You can't overstate the disaster that would have happened if this rail strike would have gone into effect. Um, Amtrak had announced that they were going to suspend cross-country passenger travel. Then they were able to cancel that because a deal was made. But, you know, there are a lot of people that ride trains across the country, and that's one piece of it. That's one piece of it. For those of you old enough to remember um, the strike with the air traffic controllers that Reagan intervened in. Because the entire airline industry depends on air traffic controllers. And there is a, there is a, there is a fine line between holding someone hostage or negotiating something that's fair. When you have the ability to shut down the economy of the United States, um, and doing that, dragging down our economy, you're holding someone hostage. When you are an air traffic controller or the union for the air traffic controllers and you basically are going to shut down air travel and we're talking about deliveries and passenger flights across the country, you also are holding the country hostage. And that's where intervention has to happen. And I'm not a big pro-union guy anyway, but I understand and unions have become very popular again. I think they're the most popular they've been since 1965 right now. I understand people that are pro-labor, pro-union. Both of my uncles, who I love dearly as a young child, both of my uncles were Teamsters. So I get it. But there is a difference between negotiating what's fair and negotiating you know, hard. you got to be a good negotiator and doing something unfair like holding the nation hostage. I think there's a difference. And I'm glad we averted any of it happening.
Uh, we talked about this a couple of times today, the immigration issue. I want you to hear from some of the people involved. The couple of things, the big headlines are that there were uh, there were illegal immigrants that were dropped off at the uh, at the house, at the home of the vice president. There was two plane loads of illegal migrants that were then flown into Martha's Vineyard and people are losing their minds. What do those people have to say next? and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Um, The uh, issue of immigration is one that, and there's two things. There are two separate issues that are are, uh, always put together because out of necessity in many cases, but they are two separate issues. One of them is border security and the other is immigration. Now, you would hear from one side of the aisle that if we fix the immigration system, that would fix the border security issue. And I don't believe that to be true because it doesn't matter what laws you create, what laws you change, what rules you set in place. If you don't have the ability to enforce them or the willingness to enforce them, it doesn't matter what those laws are, which is exactly what we're talking about here, that we have existing laws on the books that, when enforced, dramatically reduce the desire to cross our border illegally. So I want to set this up a little bit differently than I have before. Putting yourself in the shoes of someone, and let's not let's not go all over the world, although we know people are coming from all over the world. Let's put it just in Central American countries that are coming here. They're making their way north into Mexico and crossing, whatever countries those are. And they are in a situation where they live in uh, dangerous places, possibly, crime, high poverty levels. They want to give their children a chance, understanding that just to their north, you know, that there is this land of opportunity where it is dramatically better and dramatically different from where you are right now. And you want to go there. You can't come, but the cartels are saying, we can get you in. We will bring you Across Mexico, we will get you across the border, and then here's what you say. You go and apply for asylum. You approach a federal agent, and these are the words you use, and there is a system in place in America that they have to, by their own laws, push you through this system, and you're going to be able to stay. First of all, most of the time, that's not true. It may be a delayed exit, but it's an exit. But they also are charged thousands of dollars that they don't have. So either it's borrowed money, life savings money, whatever it is, or they owe money. When they are brought here, first of all, the journey is immensely unsafe. It is dramatic. It is horrible. The southern border of the United States has been named the most dangerous land crossing in the world. How is that not a headline every single time this issue? And I mean every network, not just Fox News that plays to the right. Everyone. Why are we not saying? Because people on the left understand they hate this, too. They just hate it for different reasons. Why is that not the headline? Anyway, I digress. So it is immensely dangerous for them to come. They borrow the money or they're told when they come here, we now own you until you pay back your debt. Papers taken away many times so they don't have a means and they are told, go ahead and try to run. You may get away from us, but we know where your family is back in your home country and we'll murder your entire family. So we may not get you, not right away, but we will murder everybody close to you. They're slaves. 
Young men are in the drug trafficking business. They are muling drugs across the border, fentanyl, methamphetamines, and other drugs into our country. And the girls have a worse fate. They are trafficked sexually. We're talking sometimes young girls, minors, that become prostitutes. Now, you can't call them an underage prostitute. They're a rape victim. And this is what they endure. They don't know that when they sign up. They're being told you're going to have the land of milk and honey at your feet. The minute you land on American soil, your life is just dramatically improved. And they find out many times that's not the case. So the system is rigged by the cartels lying about a lot of different things. There's no doubt about it. But the policies of this administration, we all have to understand by sheer numbers, has made it worse. Their lack of enforcement has made it worse. I said yesterday, I'll say it again. You may be someone that subscribed to the position that what Trump did was inhumane and horrible. And I don't want to argue about that anymore. Trump's not the president anymore. So there's no point in arguing about that. We had to argue about what's going on right now. And when Biden's not president anymore, I won't argue about Biden. I won't argue about his policies. No, you got to have a president that has different policies that fix the problem. So they come here. And if we don't change the laws or enforce the existing laws, people come here. There's a line, what, four years long now minimum to get a hearing for asylum. So many people are turned back. So many people are turned back and they still owe the money. Now you look at the other side of it is the people that are not coming here to become citizens or to become, uh, you know, uh, green card holders or visa holders or workers. They're coming here to be criminals. They have an easy access to the border. The border is effectively controlled by the cartels. We have got to stop that. The humane thing to do for all of us is to recognize that the cartels don't care. They they are they treat people like cargo. And we're a part of allowing it to happen. And this is where I, I, I sincerely mean this to anybody on the other side of the aisle from me, anybody that is a staunch Democrat. We don't have to agree, and we should sit down at the table and talk about what a compromise solution is. But we should agree that something has to be done. This ignoring thing that's going on by this president and this vice president should stop. Don't you? How can you not agree with that? How can you not agree that uh, that that Vice President Harris has been absolutely absent, absent on this issue? She's done nothing on this issue. And you should be making demands. And even if you're demanding something different than I want, why are we not demanding something be done? Because it's not going to be fixed with me talking to Democrats because I'm a staunch Republican. When I come on the air, I talk about my political leanings. I am automatically excluded from the conversation by half of the voting population. Well, I wouldn't say a third. I'd say a third in the Democratic Party. They don't want to listen to me. They won't listen to me. They don't need to listen to me. And a lot of them just don't like me. Well, the same is on the other side. When a Democrat speaks, Republicans put their fingers in their ears and do la, 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 and they don't listen. Independent voters. But at some point, us as voters as a whole have to stop looking at each other as Republicans and Democrats and start looking at our government as that they work for us. They have failed. And the reason why I say the Biden administration is failing is, A, he's the president, so he gets the credit when things go well. He gets the blame when things aren't. So he gets the blame. There's no doubt he does. But the Democrats control the House. They could come up with a plan. The Democrats effectively control the Senate. You do something. 
get a piece of legislation that closes the border and it stops the cartels in great numbers from doing what they're doing and has a bunch of stuff in there to fix the immigration system, however you want to handle it. And then say to Republicans, we're doing our part. Go to your leadership in the Republican Party and tell them to help get this done. And when, and I believe when, not if, when the House of Representatives flips, maybe the Senate flips, then that Republican-led body of legislators in the House and Senate, they'll have an obligation to put together some kind of immigration reform that includes really strong, effective border security. They're going to have to get it passed, and then we'll see if the President of the United States will sign it. And then all of America can look at that accountability. But the idea that as soon as I start speaking about border security, I don't care about migrants is such an empty statement. It is such an empty statement. It's not true. I don't think the way the system is working right now is helpful to those people. As a matter of fact, it makes me want to turn the conversation back on you and say, go look, do your homework. Go look at what the border looks like from Texas to Arizona. Go and look at the sheer numbers of people that have Come here and people that have died and you tell me that you're the one that's being humane. I think by you being a part of it happening makes it inhumane. I just think it's time we do something. It's time we do something for the betterment of who we are as people. Coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to finish off by talking about a controversial new law in California that I think is an overt violation and threat to the First Amendment. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. A few minutes left in the show. I want to finish with a story we talked about earlier in the 9 o'clock hour. Gavin Newsom signed a controversial new bill. There is an ad. There is a story that's written here about this new bill or this new piece of legislation that's been signed. New law. What it does is it forces social media companies to talk about what they do about hate speech and disinformation, harassment and extremism. All broad terms. What you may think is extremism, I may not. And vice versa for different reasons. So who gets to define those things? Who gets to define them? And that's the scary part of a piece of legislation. This I believe this is the reason why the First Amendment was written in the first place. The controversial speech, the controversial speech. My phone just rang. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I'm getting a call. Let me take this. I'm joking. Um, So they have uh, controversial speech has always been protected. Uh, I've used this example before. There is an artist. Uh, that is, does homoerotic art. His name is Maplethorpe. Uh, was very well known in the 90s and uh, maybe even before that. I don't know. But he became famous in, in because of this back in the 90s. And here's why. Because he was getting grants from the National Endowment for the Arts and many people thought his art was obscene. Now, that's, again, a subjective term. What's obscene to you might be art to someone else. And people would say, you know what? That kind of art is meant to invoke emotion. It's meant to make some people angry and it's meant to make people uncomfortable. Uh, Using the American flag flowing out of a toilet in an art exhibit, used as a a doormat outside of an art gallery. Um, All of those things have happened. Putting a crucifix, which is the most sacred uh, um, symbol in the Catholic Church, the crucified Christ in a mason jar full of urine and called art. All of it was meant to invoke emotion, some of it anger, make you uncomfortable. It's all meant to do that, all protected. Now, you use the wrong pronoun, you should be arrested. 
who gets to define what hate speech is, right? Who gets to define it? Story written in the Arizona Republic said political ads continue to hurt migrants. Latinos ahead of Arizona elections, advocates say. And what this story talks about is phrases being used like invasion, madness, under attack are hurting Latinos. Words are hurting Latino voters. Now, it may make them uncomfortable. They may not like the term. Some of them. Listen, I know so many people that are, are, I don't even know if that's the right term, Latino. I have friends that are from Mexico. I have friends from Venezuela. I have many friends from Cuba. I have friends from Puerto Rico, all these Spanish speaking countries. And none of them that I know are offended by the use of any of those words in connection to the border because politically they align themselves on the right side of the aisle. So who gets to define if that's hate speech? That's the point of all of this. The point of the First Amendment is there's a very good chance that you may not like the things I say on the air here, but I'm never going to have to claim that I'm protected to do this or say this by the First Amendment. I, I don't push the envelope that way. Comedians do. Look at Dave Chappelle. Look what happened to him. Look at Ricky Gervais. Two people I think are hysterically funny. They say offensive things. There are times they tell jokes and I'll go, wow. And other times I laugh hysterically. So am I supposed to call them out and say they they need to be canceled? You can't air their specials because I didn't like what they said in that one joke. The other horrible jokes were hysterically funny. That one was crossing the line. The First Amendment protects your right to speak. On the other hand, it also gives you the right to be a complete idiot. And what I mean by that is just because you can say it doesn't mean you should. I have a right to walk up to a couple in the park and tell them that their child is the ugliest child I've ever seen in my life. And if one of the parents punches me in the mouth, they're going to get arrested for assault, not me. They would be in trouble. I wouldn't. Does that mean it's the right thing to say? Absolutely not. It's a horrible thing to say, and I should be ridiculed if I ever did it. But you don't take somebody's rights away. You don't make laws that make companies police somebody else's speech. You know, we did this. I talked about COVID-19 and, and, and treatments for it and masks and vaccines and ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. How much has that changed? A year and a half ago, it was all disinformation. Remember? Blacked out screens, disclaimers before you could open a picture, before you can open a meme or anything else. All the disclaimers about disinformation. Turns out it wasn't as much disinformation as they said. So did the truth change? You going to go back and change it? We have to be careful because just because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, which I agree we should all try not to do, you don't make laws like that because then those leaders get to dictate what hate and disinformation is. That should be scary for all of us. We're out of time. Tomorrow morning, we're back beginning at just after 8 o'clock, like you do every other day. Thanks for spending part of your day here. Hope to talk with you tomorrow. Until then, God bless.